Well, we're going to be over in a familiar scripture here this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 17. But I'll ask you this question. Have you ever wanted to tell someone off but didn't because you thought it would compromise your Christian testimony? Yep. And uh, I'm sure that just about everybody can say that we have felt that way. We're going to take a look at somebody today who, for the first time meeting someone, never met him before, first time met him, didn't like him, and said so. And he had some very harsh words for the man. And he was inspired by God. This was a man of honor. This was a man that God anointed. And this was a man that God blessed. If you haven't guessed it so far, the man we're talking about is David. And the man that he met for the first time and spoke very harshly to is Goliath. Now, he never met him before. He had no history. He didn't know anything about Goliath. And yet the words that he spoke to Goliath were okay. I bet you like to tell some people off the way David told off Goliath. Wouldn't you like to be able to tell whether whether you are in the flesh or in the spirit when those things are going on? Well, there are people of honor and there are people of dishonor. David was a person of honor. But when your closest companions are made up of people of honor, your thoughts and your actions will become more and more like theirs. The same is true if you have people of dishonor making up those that are closest to you. Now, David was someone who collected people of honor. And eventually he got to have quite a few of them. But in the beginning, there were not many that he was able to call alongside of him. There's probably other people of honor, but they just weren't people he could call to him. Now, last week we looked at the, the, the uh, spirit of honor with Miriam, Aaron, Moses, and Jesus. And we saw how people treated Jesus in his hometown. They didn't treat him very honorably. We saw how Miriam and Aaron treated Moses. They didn't treat him very honor, honorably. And you don't have to answer this now, but I'll ask you, you can answer for yourself. Did you make time this week to worship the Lord with honoring words? Did you picture yourself honoring Him as you sang those, those songs that came to you? Well, let's go over here to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, you've, some of you folks have been here for a long time, and we've gone through this a, a, a number of times, this story here with with David and Goliath. I hear people tell this story. I get frustrated because a lot of people tell it wrong. And it's a shame because it's pretty clear the things that have gone on in here. So, uh, it's not my purpose to reteach the whole story, but, you know, we've got some people who haven't been here before and I just, we won't throw out some of the important things you need to know about this. Maybe not all the different things because you could spend a long time here in this story. But here in verse 1, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Sokoth, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Sokoth and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side. Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. 
Now, to give you the picture of what's going on here is you have a mountain on one side and a mountain on the other side. The armies are in the mountain. It is hard to fight in the mountains. It's also hard to sneak up on somebody in the mountains. If you have talked to anybody or seen any of the war movies that go on, the person who has the advantage is the person who has the what? The high ground. You want the high ground. So right now they're both maintaining the high ground. The first one to come down into the valley loses that advantage. If one side tries to send somebody over to the other armies and tries to do a sneak attack, you have to do it uphill. You have to do it with them above you. So it's not a great scenario. We're trying to get this battle to go on here in the plains. Um, Israel probably is reluctant to do it. And the Philistines are reluctant to make Israel because they don't want to go up and lose their advantage by going up into the mountains. So this is where the impasse is. And so Goliath decides, I'm going to stop this impasse and we're going to create a situation where someone will come down. Maybe if you all won't come down, maybe one of you will come down and you'll come on down here into this, into this place. So verse 5, he had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Now you all know how much that is. The coat of mail that he would wear at 5,000 shekels of bronze would come to about 125. Don't write that in your outline. That is not the number. But it is about 125 pounds. So just the mail that he would wear on him is 125 pounds. He had bronze armor on his legs and bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and a shield bearer went before him. Now his armor is said to weigh, this is the total armor of everything he carried, is said to weigh 318 pounds. That's what you carry into the battle. And you have to be able to use it in the battle. So you are carrying on your body 318 pounds. Now that's twice my weight. That would, that would do me in. A, a, a smaller amount of that would do me in as far as fighting the battle is concerned. I mean, I could probably put it on and maybe stand up. But I'm not doing no fighting. <laughs> this is what he had on. Now, remember some of this verse. I'm going to refer back to it here in just a little bit. Verse 8, Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. Now, our purpose here is not to teach you about David and Goliath. Purpose here is not teaching you you can go up against any kind of giant in your life and, and you, can, you can do all those things. Our purpose here is honor. We're looking at this story from the perspective of honor. And whenever you look at a story from a different perspective, you can find something unique, something different that you hadn't seen in it before. He says, why have you come out to line up for battle? Really, why have they come out to line up for battle? We're here lined up for battle and no one's doing anything. So in verse 9, if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. 
he defies the armies of Israel. The armies of Israel stand for who? God. And David will hear this and interpret this as you have defied God. Now that is not an honorable thing to get, to do. But here in this story, what we see is a person of honor coming up against a person of dishonor. A person of dishonor is willing to do some things that a person of honor is not willing to do. And sometimes we feel like we can't win that battle because they will stoop lower than we will. So he says again in verse 10, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. Now just in case anyone's unaware, the reason that Goliath is so big is because he what he has what is referred to as giant blood. And just the history on this, back in the days of Noah, the sons, the the uh, I forgot how they the, the fallen angels is what it's called the sons of God I think they call them the fallen angels they came down to the daughters of men, and they had babies. This is the background on where Greek mythology came from. Greek mythology, you know, a lot, a lot of the gods interacting with the, the people. This is where it came from. Now, it went in direct directions that the Bible does not teach. Understand that. The Greek mythology is not the Bible. But that's where they had their basis of the gods coming down and having, um, you know, Hercules was a product of uh, a god and a, uh, and uh, I think he had an earthly mom. I think he was had a, a, a father who was a god and an earthly mom, and that's where Hercules came from. Um, Achilles, if you remember him in there, he was one. Uh, how many have a, how many remember know your Achilles heel? Do you know why it's named after Achilles? Anybody not know why it's not named after Achilles? Or why it's, the reason that it's, it's named your Achilles heel is because the mother, I believe his mother was a goddess in the Greek mythology, not in real life. You know, it didn't happen that way. But she grabbed him after he was born and she dipped him in, I forget what, but uh, dipped him in something to give, to give him protection. And so she grabbed him by the heel and she dipped him in and everything was protected on him except for the heel. And when she pulled him back out, that was the only part in his body that was exposed. So when he was killed, he was hit in his heel, thereby wounded. And I don't know that, I don't remember, I don't know the Greek mythology that well, but I don't remember if that killed him or if that's a, that weakened him enough that he, they were able to come over and to kill him. And that's how he was, uh, he was killed. Again, this is Greek mythology. It may not even be what all had actually happened, but this is where these things came from. So what you had here, and the reason that that all came about is because the devil knew that if in order for the Messiah to be born, Messiah had to be born of pure blood, pure human blood. And so by him taking fallen angels and mixing it with human blood, we therefore produced a race of people that were neither human nor, nor um, angelic. They were a mixture. And if they could get this blood to pollute the bloodlines on, on earth, that would prevent Messiah from coming and redemption could not happen. So if that's nudie, I just want to make sure that you know that's where the giants came from. The first time this happened, they were wiped out by the flood. 
If you go back into the book of Genesis, you will see that Noah was not perfect. Noah was perfect in what? In his generations. It means he did not have any giant blood in him. When people try and teach that Noah went around trying to evangelize and get people into the boat, he was not. He was never instructed by God to let anybody else on the boat except for his family. God's intention was to wipe everyone out, whether they believed in God or not. He was going to wipe the entire earth out and only have the pure human bloodline left, which was Noah's. Whether that meant the only ones that had pure human blood was in Noah's family, whether it meant the only ones who believed in God and had pure, I don't know. All I know is that God said, that's the family. We're going to start all over. We're going to do this. And so all the giants are gone. And then what happens is uh, the devil cons another group of fallen angels into doing the same thing again. Now understand the first group that did this was locked up in a place called Tartaros. They're locked up for good. They can't, they, they overextended what they were allowed to do. So they're not allowed on the earth anymore. They're locked up. And so a second group came out and this one produced the giants that, that, uh, primarily were around the land of Canaan. Canaan was where the giants were when the children of Israel came to Canaan. They said the, the sons of Anak are there. The giants are there is what they're saying. Now by this point, the giant blood had been watered down, and so they were no longer like King Og in the Bible who was, had a bed. We don't know how tall he was, but his bed was 20 feet tall. That's a sizable bed. But as time went on, John, uh, Goliath is actually one of the smaller ones because the, the bloodline had, uh, the fallen blood had been watered down some. So he's uh, nine and a half feet tall, I think most people have estimated. Um, maybe if you even if you say 10 feet tall, he was not as big as some of the other giants was, but he was still stronger than, than most and very intimidating. And especially for a young lad like David, David was, we don't know exactly how old he was, but he was not quite fighting age yet. So Saul was supposed to, well, actually Israel was supposed to wipe out all the inhabitants of Canaan. They did not. And so the people that came up after them were supposed to wipe out all the inhabitants of Canaan and get rid of the giant blood, and they did not. Saul was commissioned with it as the king, and he did not. But he did make, make a, he made good headway there, and he wiped out a lot of them. But there are still some that are left. And so David is, is commissioned here to take on the rest of them. He's not at this point, but he will be eventually. So, in uh, verse 13, the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to, to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Now, if you're wondering what that means, he returned to, to his father's sheep. We, we skipped ahead because in chapter 16 is where David was sought, or a man was sought for who could play the harp and calm uh, Saul when he had this distressing spirit came upon him. David was found. David was called into that service. And so apparently what had happened was he would serve some time with the king and then sometime he would go on back and uh, tend to his father's sheep. But he was not doing it full time anymore. But he would return to his father, tend the sheep some, and then go back and do the duties over here to, with Saul. And then he would go back again. And he would keep making these, these trips back and forth. Now think about this. Your youngest son, who's not old enough to go to war, is okay to make the trip from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. 
Now, it's not that great of a trip. It's not a, it's not a huge trip. You can make it in less than a day. It's not like he had to be overnight anywhere. But um, how many of you would let your kids walk to school anymore? I mean, we walked to school. You know, of course, you know, we, we walked to school in snow, three feet deep, uphill both ways. <laughs> but, but, you know, the, uh, anymore, that's, that's not a, a big a deal. We don't uh, let the kids walk. I mean, sometimes you follow some of these school buses. They're not even allowed to walk down the road. I mean, the bus stops at their house, picks them up, goes four houses down the road and picks them up. It's like, no, 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 we, no, we didn't do it that way. We all had to come to the bus stop. And we had to meet at the bus stop and wait at the bus stop for the bus. The bus would get there and 20 kids would pile in from the bus stop. Not one or two kids at each house. This is ridiculous. But that's what they, they did. We're getting a lot softer in our, in our uh, days here. But anyway, there are only the three oldest went. So this tells us that either only the three oldest are old enough to go or there's a restriction on how many can come from the family. There may be a restriction in that you can't take all of the sons because then they can't work the fields and do the things in the fields. So there may be that restriction in there. And so the three oldest went, maybe there was a limit of three. I don't know what it was, but uh, the three oldest are the ones that went. David is said to not quite be fighting age yet. So we know that he's, he's not quite at that, that spot. We don't know exactly where the other ones are. So just know it may be that they were old enough and didn't go because they were allowed to stay home and and help the uh, family out with the farms and the things that would be going on there. So David is a part-time keeper of the sheep, not real interactive with Saul. Saul, call that guy in here who plays the harp. And they would call that guy in here who plays the harp. So he's not real familiar with Saul. The people around Saul don't pay a whole lot of mind to him because all he is is some young kid who plays the harp. Why in the world do we want to be mindful of this guy? Because you're going to see later on in this chapter, we're going to say, who is this man? Who is David? because they don't know him. Well, how did he not know him if he was called in to do this? Because Saul didn't call him in. They found him and brought him in for Saul. So that's just some of the setting for here. Sometimes that causes confusion. There's even some critics who say, well, because of this, the Bible's not true. Uh, no, that's not the way that it is. Anyway, verse 16, And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. I forget when it was. Was it Wednesday night that we were getting into I mentioned this. I think it was, I don't know if it was Sunday. Sometimes, you know, I get the services confused because uh, it wasn't anything that I really meant into the outline. It's just something we kind of brought up. But I'll bring it up to you again just to make sure that you all know. The reason 40 days is made out is, or is lined out here is because 40 days is a time of testing. And so someone is being tested and at the end of 40 days, they have failed. Jesus was tested 40 days in the wilderness. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days. There you saw a test of Joshua. Joshua was tested for those 40 days because he heard the sounds in the camp and was tempted to go down into the camp. But Moses had said, stay here, and Joshua stayed there. Joshua was tested on that mountain, and he passed. Jesus was tested in the wilderness, and he passed. Saul is tested here, and he fails. He is supposed to rise up and take on this giant. He's anointed to take on this giant, and he fails. Forty days, this guy gets up and makes this challenge. And forty days, he goes back and no one comes out. I don't know how many of the men are saying, well, why doesn't Saul go down there? Why doesn't Saul pick somebody? Why aren't we making some headway on this? Forty days, this is going on. 
Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. Now imagine this, picture, picture the futility of this. Every day, the children of Israel would get up. They would all start shouting, let's go get them, let's kill us some Philistines. Yeah, let's go, let's go, we're going out there to war, we're going out there to war. And they get on out there, they all, ah! <laughs> nothing happens. The Philistine champion comes out and makes this challenge. And all the people that are, ah, oh, we don't want to do this. We got no part of this. And they all go the other way. And this happens for 40 days. Now, after the second or third day, how many of you are getting wise to this? Why are we all getting so excited about going out to battle? You know we're not fighting. 40 days this is going on. 40 days. Every day they draw. I mean, why else are you there? And you can kind of understand why he comes out and says, Hey, why are we here? You get a man, I get a man. I'm I'm the man. Come on down here. Let's fight. Verse 21. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle right, army against army, and David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Now, this is their routine. They are set in this routine. How many have a routine? I mean, maybe you have one routine for Monday and another routine for Tuesday and another routine for Wednesday, but you've got a routine of things that usually happen on a particular day. This is what usually happens. And, you know, once in a while, something might come in that, to change that, but there's a, there's a routine that goes on. They have a routine. We wake up in the morning. We, we get each other psyched up. We go out there to battle like we're going to fight. We're not. And then we come back. And they do this and they get all excited. But David is not into this routine. This has been going on 40 days. David has not shown up for those 40 days. He shows up at the conclusion of the 40 days because God gave Saul all that time to man up. To face the challenge. So, for Israel and the Philistine had drawn up in battle array, Army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brother. So what is this, what, this is what he's thinking. Oh, man. You hear that sound? They're all getting excited. They're going into battle. David's excited. I get to watch the battle. I'm going to get to see people fight in the battle. He's excited. He says, here, hold on to all these supplies that my father just sent with me. I'm more concerned about what's going on over there. And he runs over to the battle. He's excited. And then as he talked with them, there was a champion. He's talking with them. Now picture this. You guys are going into battle? Yeah, yeah, we're all ready to go. Oh, this is, I thought I might miss it. But, but here you are. You're all going into battle. They're sitting there. They're talking. They're having conversation. Then as he talked with them, there was a champ, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. He's got a routine down too. This is what I say. Nobody answers. And all the men of Israel 
when they saw the men, man fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Now, this is the part that puzzles me. I don't understand this part. Here you are. You got up in the morning. We got all excited. Let's get us some Philistines. And we're all out there. And we get out to the battle. And we're they're all standing on one side of the mountain. They're on this side of the mountain. Here comes Goliath. He comes on out into the valley. Come on, send somebody down here to fight. He gets his whole routine. And then all of a sudden, and they run back and they're afraid. It's like, surprise. Now, if something happens one time, it'll surprise you. If something happens two times, maybe, you know, maybe they disguised it a little bit better. But, um, you know, we, 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 don't, we don't know. And um, the whole idea of a surprise is that it's, it's, it's something that you don't know what's going to happen. You know, we used to have this thing with my daughter. She would get hiccups. And you know what the best way is to get rid of hiccups? You got to scare them. Now, you can't just do any of this fake kind of scaring. And we had the youth group over one particular night over in our room. If you've been in our house, you know we've got this, uh, this room out in the front with all these windows out on there. And it was a nighttime. And they were all sitting around. They were playing like a Uno or some kind of a game like that. And so they're playing around. And, and so I heard her over there. <laughs> you know, it's uncomfortable. that I wanted to help her out. <laughs> I really did. I wanted to help her out. And so um, I excused myself. They just, you know, didn't know what I was doing. And so I went, I don't know if I went out to the garage and went out the garage way or uh, I didn't want to go out the front door because I would alert them that I was going outside. So I snuck on out of the house, worked my way on back around to the side where the glass windows are. And she's on, on the other side of the glass windows. And I came up. It's dark. You can't see. I came up to the glass window and I went, <laughs> well, she jumped sky high. <laughs> that got her, and she was upset, of course, because I, I scared her good. It was no little scare. It was a big scare. And um, when I came back in, you know, she was upset. And so far, I said, well, you have hiccups anymore? No. <laughs> so I said, that's a good scare. But you can't go and do that again later on in the night because um, we're already, we're kind of expecting this. This is something we're, we're, we're thinking about coming. So every day, this guy would come out. And David's there after 40 days of this going on. 40 days of him challenging. They all come up all excited to go into battle. Excited to go into fight some Philistines. And then this challenge, challenger guy would come out. And they would all run back to the camp and be scared. You would think after maybe the second or third day, we're not running scared anymore. But David's here for the first time. He's telling you what's going on. And all the men of Israel. How many? That would include his brothers, wouldn't it? His big, tough, strong brothers that are bigger than he is. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. We're not just afraid. We're not just scared a little bit. We are dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who comes up? Have you seen him? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches. will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes initial. See, Saul is trying to buy somebody to do his job. It's his job to do. He's the king. He's the champion. But he's not doing it. He doesn't want to. He's afraid. He, whatever it is, I don't know. I can't tell you what's in his head. He doesn't tell us. But he doesn't do it. 
And all these things are, are going to be good. They're all impressed with what he's going to do, but they're probably thinking, but if I'm dead, it won't do me any good. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, uh, I'll, I'll rephrase this for you. Um, what's going to happen? Tell me again. Tell me again. I just want to make sure I got this. What's going to happen to the man who kills this, this giant? What's going to go on? What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now David hears of the honorable reward. That's what it is. It's an honorable reward. You're going to get to marry into the king's family. And it seems he's decided to like it. I like this. I like this idea. I like this thing of of what's going on. So verse 28. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was David, the little brother... I would not say what David said. This is what I would say if I was David. Look who's talking, you coward. That's what I would have said. You've been out here how many days and running from this guy? I'm not going to run from him. I'm ready to take him on. Coward. And he'd get mad. He'd just go, coward. Frady cat. That was one we used to throw around. Brady cat. But David didn't do that. Nope. He says, what have I done now? In other words, man, you are always picking on me. They're always coming down. Now, if you've been here before and we talked about the things of David, David had no respect from his father. His father did not respect him at all. In fact, for some reason, he disdained him. We don't see his mom in the picture. We don't know if he was more of a mom, mama's boy. And what could have happened if mom was still there, if dad disdained him this much, he may have been drawn over to mom's side, which is maybe why you see some of the sensitive nature in David. Some of that going on in some of the songs and some of the things that he had uh, had done. Maybe why he picked up an instrument to, to be playing that. Maybe that was mom's influence to get him to, to play some of these things instead of picking up the swords and the bows and becoming a man of war like um, his brothers had done. Whatever it was, he does not, uh, his father has no respect for David. And you can tell that because when the prophet came to anoint him, how many sons did he bring? All but one. All but one. And uh, now David, if you had a son who killed a lion and killed a bear, would you not think that would qualify him to be viewed by the prophet for a possible kingship? None of the other kids have done that. What that tells you is the father does not believe that he killed a lion or that he killed a bear. He believes it is a, it is a story. Because that is the father's attitude, this attitude is passed on to the brothers. And the brothers view his story as fables. And they don't view David as anyone worthwhile. And they are allowed to talk to David this way, even in the presence of the father. Which is why David reacts the way he does. And while his older brother reacts the way that he does. 
So, and David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. He's, he's going after people that are not his brothers. He wants to hear from them. And these people answered him as the first ones did. So what David probably hears in these things that are going to be done, the, uh, let's read over again. Uh, verse 25. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches. Well, that's pretty good right there, right? You got lots of money. We'll give him his daughter. That's, that's cool. Marry into the king's family. And give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. I think of all the things that were in there, this is the one that stuck out for David. Finally, my dad will see me as having honor. Finally, my dad will see me as worthwhile. If I can bring this home for my dad, maybe he will treat me with respect. I think that's the one that, that grabbed hold of David the most. And so he kept asking, all right, what's going to be done for him? I want to make sure I got this right because I'm planning on collecting. Now, the, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. I've uh, mentioned this before, but whenever I read this verse, I think of underdog. How many remember underdog? Is he still on TV? He is not on TV anymore. All right. He was on TV when I was a kid. And we would watch Underdog. Underdog would be out there. And you remember what Underdog would say? Never fear. Underdog is here. <laughs> That's what he would say all the time. And you know, I think as little kids, you know, you go around, never fear. And we pretend that you're Underdog. He was, he was certainly not the most glamorous of heroes. But uh, he was a hero nonetheless, and he defeated bad guys. And this is basically what David is saying. Don't be afraid. I showed up today. We will change the course of this. Probably in the course of this, his asking questions, he found out that Goliath has been doing this for 40 days. This has been going on and on and on and on. I bet David has the same questions I have. Why in the world are you guys meeting out here each day? And then running. I don't understand why you're doing that. So Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. What is Saul using to determine this statement by? Everything that he speaks about is what he sees. Now, why did David get an audience with Saul? Why is David even there in the king's presence? It's real simple. Because of what Saul heard. Based on what he heard, he brought him in for an interview. Maybe this will solve our problem. Based on what he saw, he decided this isn't going to work. This is the same thing that many Christians do, weak Christians they do. They hear the word of God. And they decide, hmm, maybe this will solve my problem. Maybe I can get healed. Maybe, and they'll have all these maybes, and then they see the problem. And then they see something. And then the, whatever it is, they've measured it up. Oh, this isn't going to work. So he heard and got Saul's attention, but then he saw and he disqualified him. 
You can't do it. You're just a youth. And he's been a man of war from his youth. Now, he, now Goliath probably got started in battle a lot sooner than most because he was taller and bigger than most of them were. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Thankfully, his brothers are probably not in the room with the king. Because they would say, That's a That's a lie! He's always trying to tell that story, but it didn't really happen. They didn't get an audience with the king because they weren't speaking words like David was. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines, of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So David talked him into it enough. Now maybe Saul's thinking, Well, if he kills him, we can say, You killed a kid. I mean, what do you think that? You killed a kid. That's not a champion, and they could probably disqualify the whole thing from that. Uh, but, you know, what do we got to lose? Send him out. If he dies, we'll just say he doesn't count. And if he wins, well, there we go. Now, David, basically here, he is speaking words of honor. He's speaking words of honor in this situation. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. David has called him uncircumcised. He has called him out as being one who defied the armies of, of God. He sees him as nothing. Paul, in this, in having this conversation, understands David doesn't see this guy as a problem. I don't have anybody else on my staff that doesn't see this guy as a problem. Everyone sees this guy as a huge problem. David doesn't see him as a problem. And so he decides to send him on out on the basis of the fact that, man, he doesn't see that this man's a a problem. He speaks words of honor. Now, Goliath is speaking words of dishonor. Now, I'm going to talk to you about a couple of movies here. How many people re- uh, like movies like Remember the Titans? How many people have watched the movie Remember the Titans? Anybody not watch that one? Don't know what that movie is? Not watched it? All right. Remember the Titans, one of my favorite movies. I love Remember the Titans. How many remember Blindside? Anybody watch Blindside? Blindside. Have it Red Tails. Anybody who not watched Red, Red Tails? Anybody no idea what Red Tails is? Red Tails is a great movie. You see, all these movies were, were based on true stories. I'm not telling you these are not made up ones. Red Tails was about a fleet of uh, 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 men in the Air Force who uh, actually did their job instead of going after self-glory. I mean, they were phenomenal stories. People love these movies. And, and I, I thought about it for a bit. This is the reason why people love this, these movies. It's because people love honor. They love honor. They are drawn to honorable things. We are drawn to military order. When we see people in, uh, military people in dress uniform, what does that do to you? Doesn't that have an, it doesn't have a positive effect because we see honor that is there. When we see the military routines at a funeral, what do we see? We see honor. It, it moves us. We see people who treat things, even if they didn't know that with respect, we see honor in there. And so we're drawn to things in the, in the military in that way. And even if we weren't in military, we are drawn to, to things like that. We're drawn to movies like this because in these kind of movies, what they showed is here is the people of honor, here is the people of dishonor. 
And we are drawn to the people of honor. And we like the movies because of the feeling that we get because we are associating ourselves with honor. If you've never watched those movies, watch them and understand the, uh, the principle of honor. That, uh, that's what's going on. In the, the movie, uh, Remember the Titans, when they first bring them out into the camp, they are both, both sides are dishonoring the other. But by the time camp begins to move on and things happen, all of a sudden, now they're giving honor to each other. And they're, re- they're treating each other with honor and respect. And it just changes the whole culture of the camp. And then all of a sudden they get on the bus and they come home from camp and they get into the, the craziness that was going on in the city. And you can see the contrast. Here is dishonor. Here is people operating in dishonor. Here is people who have learned how to operate in honor. See, we're drawn to things like that because we are drawn to honor. And David acted honorably. And he knows this man, he has acted in a very dishonorable way. Now, you will see this repeated several times here, and it's also going on before, the significance of the lion and bear in David's life, and it's also very significant in Israel's history. Whenever you see something in Scripture repeated over and over again, it's repeated for a reason. There is nothing in the Word of God that is not repeated over and over again that is not repeated for a reason. David is a type of Jesus Christ. David is also the king of Israel. And there's a typology that follows out in this story, which is why lion and bear are constantly uh, referred to here. You see, in the story with David, what came after the flock was a lion. What came after the flock was a bear. See, we've got some forces coming against us, but we're going to tell you about what this is. Because if you don't know this, it is, it's intriguing and helps you understand that God knew some things way back beforehand, because this is something that is prophesied that really is prophesied nowhere else in Scripture. This is the only place I know of that it is. And if you don't know history, you won't ever see it. You see, what happened when Israel became a nation, you may not know this. How many know what nation was, the, was the, one of the leading nations responsible for bringing Israel as a nation after World War II? Anybody remember? How many want to say Britain? You would be correct. Britain was one of, the, one of the instrumental ones in doing that. But what you don't know is that in the beginning, Britain was against it. And the first enemy that Israel had to fight in becoming a nation again was Britain. But after Britain got on board and they were, they were going after it, another nation took up the fight to keep Israel from becoming a nation. Do you know what nation that was? That nation was the Soviet Union. And they had overcome that. What is the symbol of Britain? It is the lion. What is the symbol of the Soviet Union? It is the bear. You see, Israel first had to overcome the lion and then the bear. And then they faced the giant. Now, the giant represents Antichrist, and I'll tell you how this is. First off, you will see the number 666 in Goliath. He, had, he was six cubits in height. He had six pieces of armor. This also uh, contrasts with the Christian armor, which also has six pieces of armor over in Ephesians. Now, 
if you'll study the linguistics, and I saw somebody refer this to it, so I did some looking up on my own. The word Philistine means one who wallows or rolls in the dust. One who wallows or rolls. This is what the word means in Hebrew. I don't know what it means in other languages. I'm telling you what it means in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, the word Philistine means one who wallows or rolls in the dust. Can you think of anything in the book of Genesis that wallowed or rolled in the dust? The serpent. One other thing you can make note of, I am told from historians that the armor that Goliath wore was made to look like scales, the scales of a snake. So you have him called by one who wallows in the dust. He's a Philistine. He has a coat of mail that looks like the scales of a snake. And you will find the number 666 in him very much. But beside all that, if you throw all that out, what you have is a person who has what's called giant blood, which is fallen angels, which is where the spirit of Antichrist comes from, from Satan's kingdom. This is the final enemy that will be defeated. David defeats it here, and just as in the end, in the book of Revelation, when we see Antichrist come against Israel to wipe them out from being a nation, they will lose. The lion lost, the bear lost, and so too will the giant. So this is the prophetic aspect of the story, which doesn't always jump out at people, but it is very much in there. Now, uh, verse, let me read verse 36 for you again. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. I'm going to rephrase this for you in your outline. You can write this in if you want to. This dishonorable Philistine will be like one, one of them because, messed up E there, will be like one of them because he has spoken dishonorable words to the armies of the living and honorable God. This dishonorable Philistine will be like one of them because he has spoken dishonorable words to the armies of the living and honorable God. This story is all about honor. And the Lord will deliver me just as he has de delivered me before from forces that are greater than I. The lion at sight was greater than I. The bear, by sight, you look at me, you look at the bear, the bear is greater. And just as this man appears to be greater than me, God gave me victory over the lion. God gave me victory over the bear. God will give me victory here. Verse 38, So Saul clothed David with his armor and put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Don't use what you haven't tested. There's a whole lot of Christians that hear a message on faith, they hear a message on prayer. I'm going to go out there and do that. And they begin to go out there and they begin to do it. They haven't tested it yet. They haven't walked in it yet. This is what David says. Now, I can't go out there to battle with something I haven't tested yet. Verse 40, Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. In case you were unfamiliar with this story, he chose five smooth stones not because he thought he would miss. He took five smooth stones because Goliath has four brothers, all who have the right of vengeance and would come out to get David afterwards, and he was prepared for all four brothers. 
You can go through Scripture and you can count all four. It will identify this was a brother of Goliath, this was a brother of Goliath. It will identify all four brothers who survived Goliath. David somehow knows it. I don't know how he knows it, maybe in all the conversations he had. He found out about it, but he, the Word of God tells us he took five stones. Took them for a reason. One thing you will know about the stones is that all those stones are very similar. They're very, they're similar in size. He didn't get a big one, a small one, a medium-sized one and decide which one he wants to use. He has all of them ready so that when he goes into the bag and he grabs a stone, he's not trying to figure out which one. Nope, they're all the same. And he pulls it out, puts it in, and slings that, that stone. He got stones that are, that he has used before to kill other things. He got stones he's familiar with. He didn't get a bigger stone because we're going up against a bigger target. What I have used before will work here. If you try and go after something that you haven't tested, you haven't tested a bigger, a bigger stone in your sling. You haven't tried aiming with a bigger stone. No, he wanted to get stones like what he has used before. And he put them in there. So he took his staff in his hand, he chose himself five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. You see, dishonorable people can only speak words of dishonor. He is of a dishonoring spirit, not a spirit of honor. And in here, Goliath feels dishonored. Dishonoring people, people who are people of dishonor, will hear whatever it is that you say and as something dishonoring to them. Have you noticed how many people hear things that are dishonoring that well you dishonor well you offended me well you hurt me well you they do all these things because they are dishonorable people dishonorable people will hear dishonor in whatever you say the people came up against jesus how many people heard the words that he spoke as dishonoring to god because they were people of dishonor and whatever they would hear they would hear it that way so don't get bothered by people who try and accuse you of saying things that are dishonoring you're honoring God. And don't, don't you fret about it. Don't you, don't you be concerned about it. Because people will do it. I know that. I've said some things. You know, being in the position of pastor, you get to say some things, speak some things to some situations. And you know, some time back, I spoke to the situation with the election and with the person that's the imposter in the White House right now. I told you why I would not refer to him as president because he is not in my eyes. I, I told you all the fraud that had gone on. I see him as a fraud. I will only refer to him as a fraud. He is a fraud. And the people that empower him are frauds. Now, I've made that pretty clear before. I don't usually deal with it on Sunday because I, I dealt it all with the, with the uh, messages that I sent to you. And, of course, that does offend some people because they feel that I am dishonoring the man. There is no honor in the man. There is no honor in the man or the way that he comes about. In the same way that David came after Goliath because Goliath has no honor. And David never spoke honoring words to him. He only spoke words of destruction. I will come over there and I will kill you. Now, I don't speak words like that. 
today. <laughs> not about to speak words like don't need to speak words like that. That's for God to take care of. It's not for me to take care of. But it changes the, the way that you do things. And you know, when we did this, I took you through the Word of God and showed you in the Word of God where imposters had taken over the kingship of Israel and how God dealt with the imposters. In fact, there was one Sunday I talked you through the entire history of the kings of the north. I remember, remember that Sunday. I took you through the entire history of all the kings of the north in one Sunday. And the reason I took it on is because you had to see how God dealt with these people on a whole, on the big picture. When you go through them individually, you don't see the big picture. But you needed to see the big picture. How did God deal with people who usurped the throne? And was it not remarkable what God did to the people who usurped the throne? How God dealt with people who took the throne by means that he didn't give it to them. But we're not going to spend time on that. That's not what we're here for today. If anyone wasn't here for that and you you are interested in it, let me know. I'll see if I can can find out where it is, where it was. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David's talking big. Goliath is talking big. Only one person has got anything behind his words. (laughs) Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines, plural, to the birds of the air. Who's going to do it? And this day, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Everything I'm doing here is to honor God, is to bring honor to God. I will only speak words that honor him, not words that honor me. But let me tell you this. I'm not only going to kill you. I'm going to go after that and I'm going to go get the rest of your guys. I'm going to to take all of them. I will. That's what he said. He didn't say we. Apparently he did not know there is no I in team. One of our favorite commercials that we talk about all the time. Is it Leon Dion? Leon Dion. He is, how many remember Leon Dion commercials? Yeah. <laughs> Only a few of us are, are. Leon Dion was great. They come on down there. He's down there, you know, talking about his, his team and how the rest of the team needs to, to step up and to do some things. You know, it was just the typical NFL look at me attitude. And, you know, the rest of the team can do so. I can't do it all out there. You can't ask me to do everything. Uh, Leon can do a lot, but Leon can't do it all. I need my rest of my team to, to step up. And the reporter said, so your four fumbles had nothing to do with the loss? Not if somebody on my team picks up the ball. <laughs> and then the, <laughs> the, the announcer goes, well, there is no I in team, yay. And the Leon goes, yeah, there ain't no we either. <laughs> it's just a great commercial. I love the, I love the idea because it just deals with that haughty attitude that would be there in the presence of some sports people. And, uh, but Goliath has it very much right here. This all, then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. All right, now we're getting the rest of the team in here. So it was when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David. Now look at this. 
Then David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Look at the contrast. Army in the mountains, army in the mountains, champion comes down into the valley. Makes a challenge. The army in the mountains runs further into the mountains. They're not down in the valley. David comes down from the mountain into the valley where the giant is. He has nowhere to go now. This is the only place he can be. It's not like them. He doesn't have the mountains protecting them. He's down in the valley. And this Philistine gets mad now. He starts running towards him. So what's David do? He makes haste and he runs after him. The army ran from the scene. David runs after the man. Let's get this going. So it was when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. He ran toward the whole army of Philistines, not just the champion. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. And while he is running, he, he reaches down, he grabs this the stone, he puts it into the sling, he's running. And he starts swinging the, 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 the sling, he's running. And then lets it go. He's that's good with this thing. He does this all on the run. He does not stop and try and take aim with this. He's running. He's used to doing this on the move. Somewhere, David, on the field, had practiced this. I don't know what he was envisioning doing, whether he was envisioning going into war and doing this, but he kept practicing, running, reaching into his bag, grabbing hold of a stone, putting it in a sling, swinging it, and letting it go. All right, let's try that again. I, I was off by a little bit. And he, he get back again. He's aiming for a tree. He's aiming for a can. He's aiming for something. He gets, he gets back up there. He starts running, puts his hand in the, in the bag, pulls out the stone, starts slinging, hits it again. Maybe he hits it this time. Oh, that's good. I got it. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. Every day he's out there watching the sheep and he's practicing. He's getting ready. I don't know what he's getting ready for, but I'm getting ready. I need to get good with this thing. And then all of a sudden, here he is on the day. And he is ready. He doesn't say to Goliath, you know, let me go take a few practice shots. He's ready. And he goes out there and he slings this thing after him. Stone sank into his forehead. He fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. They ran from who? Not from the army of Israel. They ran from a little boy who just killed their giant. They ran from him. The rest of them were still up there in the mountain. Now, who's running after him? David. David is running after him because he said, I'm going to get y'all. And so after he gets the sword, he cuts off the head of Goliath. And then he goes on. He still hangs on to the sword. David still had the sword of Goliath. Years later, because he does not let the sword go. David takes a sword made for a man almost 10 feet tall, a man who could hold 300 pounds worth of armor, and he takes that sword into battle. 
and he starts killing Philistines. I don't know if he used his sling too, but he starts killing Philistines. And the rest of the men up in the mountains, hey, hey, we can win this thing. And they all come running on down. Let's help David out. <laughs> they come running on down and they, they uh, start killing Philistines. In verse 53, then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents. They waited until after they killed them all, as many as they could before they went and plundered all the stuff in there. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. He went and got all the armor. How much was that weigh? 318 pounds and a head. Now get the picture of this, guys. This head has just been severed from the body of the giant. What's it doing? It's leaking. Blood. All sorts of stuff coming out of that head. What's David doing? Got me a head. <laughs> now, I don't know if he carried all 318 pounds of armor back with him or if he got some other guys. Maybe they came over and said, David, can we help with that? And maybe he let him help with some of the other armor. Maybe he carried the sword. I got the sword and I got the head. Leave, my, leave that head alone. The head's mine. And all the way from battle... All the way back to Jerusalem, David is carrying the head of Goliath. What I got? <laughs> Can you imagine holding that head amongst all these army people who ran from it? Got me a head. <laughs> when Saul saw David... Going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? Again, he's probably just in, he's among the staff, he plays the harp, we don't know who he is. And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is, because now he has significance. Before he's just a kid, he's just a, you know, somebody on the staff, but you know, we gotta know who he is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. He hadn't let it go yet. So Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. So he, there's no research needed. We just ask him. <laughs> Whose son are you? I'm son of Jesse. That's Jesse with two S's. <laughs> Get it right, because he's tax-free now. I'm on my way home to tell my dad, Dad, you don't got to pay taxes no more. It's because I killed Goliath. Now, I don't know if Goliath's head went all the way back to his house, but he's not letting this thing go. So how long did David carry Goliath's head? He carried that head for a long time. He's not letting it go. He's letting everybody know. I'm David. I'm the guy with the head. Now, there are words of honor spoken by people of honor. Words of honor spoken by people of honor will do a couple of things. First off, when words of honor are spoken by people of honor, it will enable God's power in us. When you speak words of honor, you enable God's power in us. When you face a situation, my God has delivered me from that. That's words of honor. That's words that honor God. When I go to, go and I see, I get sick, 
Well, maybe God has a reason for giving me this sickness. That is words of dishonor. You're supposed to be a person of honor. You're speaking words of dishonor. That's why you don't activate the power of God. And I'm not going to go on on all these things, but you can get the idea what words of dishonor are. When you speak words of honor, you empower God's, you enable God's power in us. Secondly, words of honor spoken by people of honor will inspire others. They will inspire others to do good things. That's part of the reason for your quote in the bulletin today. You will inspire people. They will enable God's power in us. It will inspire others when they see, when they hear what you do. So there is enabling and there is inspiration that comes when words of honor are spoken by people of honor. The army of Israel for 40 days ran from this man, Goliath, until David showed up and then they pursued the Philistine army. Until David showed up and spoke words of honor from a man of honor toward a man of dishonor, nothing changed. But David spoke these words of honor and they all heard it. David's not being coy about any of it. Here's the last one. Get this one down. Understand this. This is just as much true as the other ones are. Words of honor spoken by people of honor will anger the ungodly and dishonorable. They will enable, they will inspire, and they will anger. Words of honor spoken by people of honor will anger the ungodly and dishonorable. I've told you this principle before. I've known, I know this principle for a long time. But whenever I see dishonorable, ungodly people get upset over someone's words, I take note of who spoke them. That will get my attention. Every single time it happens, when I see the news media, when I see certain politicians who look at certain, when they, and they say defaming things against them because of words that they have spoken, they get my attention. Ah, we might have a situation here where an honorable person has spoken words of honor and has made dishonorable people upset and angry. Because it will do it. And it will expose them. When honorable words are spoken by people of honor, it will anger the ungodly and the dishonorable. Don't get upset when they come after you and they're angry and, and dishonorable. What did David's brother do when David was speaking words of honor? He spoke words of dishonor to him. He got angry, it said. He got angry at him. Because he was not a man of honor. David was a man of honor. You see, Jesse was probably not a great man of honor either. And he passed this on to his sons. Generally, sons and daughters will either mimic what the parents have or go the opposite direction. It seems that most of the sons went the way of the father. But David said, I'm not going that way. I'm going to be a person of honor. Jesse spoke words of dishonor to David. Right in front of David right in front of all the other people and felt no remorse about it at all. Be a person of honor and speak words of honor. You can change situations, but you will make people mad at you. You will get the ungodly upset at you. When you make a stand for things, for the things of God, there'll be, there'll be a problem with, with some people. Now understand this. When we have had presidents who have stood with Israel, Israel was safer. 
What does God say about those who bless Israel? They will be blessed. What does it say about those who curse Israel? They will be cursed. When we have had presidents that have stood with Israel, Israel was safer because the people that are around them that wanted to kill them knew they would have to deal with their ally, the United States. When we have presidents that did not honor Israel, and we've had several, they would not honor Israel, then their status was was not as uh, not as good, and the people, the neighboring places would would uh, do things against them. Which is why you saw so many missiles go this week, because they know the person that is in the Oval Office right now has no respect for Israel. He didn't have any respect for Israel under his when when he was vice president. That whole administration had no respect for Israel. I don't know if everybody knows knows this, but I know it because I saw the pictures. They made the Prime Minister of Israel go out the back door. They would not let him come in the front door. They made him go out the back door with the garbage. There's a picture of him going out the back door with the garbage because they wouldn't let him come through the front door. First time that uh, President Obama met with the uh, Prime Minister from Israel. He put him in a room. This is documented. This is not stuff I'm making up. Put him in a room and said, you stay here. I'm going to go have dinner with my family. When I'm done, I'm going to come back in here and you better have something worthwhile to talk about. And he left. Left him there for a couple hours. Until he came back in. But he constantly treated him with disrespect. That. And then when Trump took over, the whole thing changed. Now it's going to go back again. So don't wonder why the missiles are suddenly cutting. Are we getting close to the end times? The reason that they come is because the people of their confidence in the allies that Israel has. I choose to stand with Israel. Because God tells me to. doesn't mean I don't like everything that Israel's doing. I know God doesn't like everything that Israel's doing. doesn't mean you can't talk about some of the things that Israel's doing that aren't right. God talked to Israel all the time about stuff that wasn't right. <laughs> this isn't right. You need to fix this. Quit doing this. I don't want you to... He's always in there correcting them. But he still said, those that will bless you, I will bless. I don't get on the sides of people that want to go against someone like Israel. I don't do it. If you want to, you can. I don't. Be a person of honor. Speak words of honor. But when you see someone who is dishonorable and dishonoring God, do not feel that you've got to play nice. And that you've got to do all these things. Well, I can't get out there and, and, and call that out. Yes, you can. Jesus did. Didn't Jesus call it out when he saw dishonor among the, the religious leaders? When you saw dishonor among the, the people that came, didn't he call it out? Didn't John the Baptist call out dishonor when he saw it? And you can keep on going. Paul did the same thing. Peter did the same thing. These people, they, call, they would call it, and they met dishonor. They did not meet it with, oh, you guys just don't know. Oh, no, they just stood up right to it. When Peter and John are before the tribunal, and they're trying to dishonor God. They're trying to dishonor Jesus and dishonor them for doing these things. What? does, what do they do? Well, who are we going to obey? You or God? See, we're not going to give honor to God. We're going to give honor to... I'm sorry, we're, we're not going to give honor to the people that come against God. We're going to give honor to God. Don't honor these people. Now, there's another thing on that note, but I'll have to wait till next week to get into it because it'll take us more to, to get there. Would you all stand up with me? We had a prayer request. I almost forgot I put it in my pocket.
But uh, Janelle said to please pray for my cousin in Israel for safety as um, as there's a, there's the war is intensifying. He said he witnessed six missiles while having a picnic with a family. I don't even know if we can imagine what that's like, seeing the missile come on, on down. Or that the world would be, be on them because they defend themselves or, or do different things. I don't, I don't even understand that. But uh, that's how, how people are going. But we're going to pray for that here today too. And as you are, you all know that we have our primary coming up on uh, Tuesday. And I put this in there. Miss um, Ethel was the one who had it. I, I see on the side there, it comes from the Pennsylvania Senate Democrat. Give power to the governor. I don't want to give power to the governor. I don't care what the crisis is. I don't want to give power to the governor. I think we've seen, and I don't care who the governor is. I don't care if the next time we have a different governor. I don't want to give power to the governor. The governor is restricted in power by the, by the state constitution and by the, the constitution that we have over, overall. These things are restricted. So if you want to give more power to the governor in these situations, then you can vote no. On that, on that first question. There's no way I'm voting no. I'll tell you all right now. Uh, I'm, I want to see that him, him to lose power. So anyway, the, if, I guess if there's other ones out there that put out Republicans, they probably would word it differently. I read this over and I said yes, yes. And I, I'm not quite sure about the, the third yes. I saw it. yes means that our Constitution would be updated to include equal rights protection based on race or ethnicity. Now on the surface, that sounds great. Anytime somebody talks about updating a Constitution, I'm thinking... You're going to update it with something. Tell me it's this, and then it ends up being this thing over here. So I, how it's written is fine. Leave it the way that it is. That's what I, I tend to be more on the, on the side of. But anyway, um, you can go out there. There's probably some other things out there as well. I just remembered seeing this. When I read over, I said, oh, I can understand that right, right away. I know exactly how I need to vote. First off, I don't want any governor having all that much power. They should not be able to to say you all have to do this because there's an emergency, state of emergency. How long has this state of emergency been? <laughs> you want them to do that to you again? I certainly do not. But, you know, I'm a conservative. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I am a conservative. I believe less government is better. I believe that all the way across the board. I don't believe that less Democrats in government is better and more Republicans. I don't believe that. I believe less government overall is better. That's my belief. You may have a belief different from that, and that's fine if you do. But that's not mine. You don't have to line up with my beliefs on the thing. But I believe that the less government, you know, like, uh, like uh, President Reagan said, this, I think it was the seven words, the seven uh, most feared words, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. <laughs> I, I don't think government is a solution to problems. I think government has caused more problems than it solves. I don't care who is at the helm at the government. I'm telling you, I think government is the cause of most of our problems. So I don't want more government. That's, that's not a Democrat or Republican issue. That is just an issue that I think the less government we have, the better. I'm not saying no government. I'm saying less. That's all that we, we look at. So anyway, I wanted to bring that up to you. Uh, check out the, you can check out some other ones. I'm sure the Republicans have something that they've ordered on there and maybe they would get it, get it to you. I don't like to see any constitution updated by people I don't trust. 
And I don't want to see any governor empowered with, with powers that they do not constantly, currently have through the Constitution. Your opinion might be better or different, but uh, whatever it is, if you want to go out there and make it known, it's going to be on Tuesday. You will have that opportunity. Of course, I guess there's some other things. Some people are running for some stuff, too, that you might want to get out there and, and check out. But let's pray. Father, these people, that uh, this one that has been mentioned, and there's others that are over there, these are people that you know over in Israel. They're facing these missiles that are coming across their country dropping into their land, blowing up their buildings, killing the citizens. Father, I thank you that you're there to help. You are there to bring this situation, turn it around. Just as David faced Goliath, just as Israel faced the Philistines and so many others who meant them harm, the people who meant harm to Israel came to an end. So I pray right now, that those people that are meaning harm to Israel would come to an end. That that destruction that they planned would be stopped. And I thank you for how you worked that. That you can cause just like the wheels of the chariots came off on the Egyptians because they came out against Israel to mean them harm. That these very rockets that they are targeting Israel with will explode on their own place, will not function, and will cause them more harm than any harm they've ever dreamed of happening when they were when they would land. For they have used these for the purpose of destruct, destroying, destroying those that are godly, those that have the name of God. And they do this not in the name of God, but in the name of Satan. Father, I thank you for the help that you give to all those people over there in Israel, that these silos, these places where they are firing them from, they will be found and they will be destroyed. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I did hear a uh, news. You probably heard it on the, the news too. That apparently Israel used our own media against them, and they leaked certain sources. Then it, it caused all the terrorists to get into the tunnels, and then they blew the tunnels up, <laughs> and uh, knocked out thousands of, of uh, terrorists, people who meant harm. I say wonderful, absolutely wonderful. These are people who mean harm, and they don't care who they harm. They just want to harm people. And they don't even think that the, that the Palestinians are living amongst the Israelites. They're not restricted to certain areas. And when they send these rockets, they can just as much hit them as they would any, anyone else. But um, be praying for Israel.